Hi, I'm Andalisi. And I'm Chef James Regato. And on this episode of Essential Cooking, we talk with Chef Jared Gadba about being a chef in New York City, working at a two-star Michelin restaurant, and coming back to Detroit to open Oak and Reel. All right, so we have Jared Gadba, Oak and Reel. Thank you for coming in. Oak and Reel is a wonderful restaurant. I was just there a few days ago, and uh, you opened up and the least convenient time to open a restaurant. <laughs> and that was, uh, what month actually in 2020? That was September of 2020. Yeah. So kind so, of right smack between the two closures. Barely allowed to serve people by law at the time. And we, you opened up your restaurant. So was that your most challenging year in your entire storied career? Uh, I, it was, you know, like, you know, with any restaurant opening, there's, there's always challenges. So it doesn't, you know, it all just feels like one big challenge versus, you know, kind of navigating. I think 2021 was probably the biggest challenge in, in realizing, you know, you got to keep the lights on, you got to figure out a way to, to kind of carve your path through this uh, storm that we had all, you know, experienced. And, um, you know, when we opened back up in, in February was when, you know, you had to figure out what 25% looks like. And thankfully we had a big restaurant and we were able to kind of carve a path through it. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of staff, so I didn't have to do the layoffs and it didn't, you know, it wasn't heartbreaking in that, in that way. I could just kind of grow naturally and, um, you know, and, and, and carve a path forward. Cause you come out of New York city, you, you, when did you go to New York city? Cause you're originally from Michigan. When did you move to New York city? Uh, I graduated from Michigan state in 20 or 2001 and moved to New York in December of 2002. Um, I went there to go to culinary school. I went to the French Culinary Institute and I thought I'd be there a couple of years. I'd move back and I'd, you know, open a restaurant and have great success. And, you know, I, I quickly realized that it takes a lot longer to learn how to cook and, <laughs> uh, or to do anything well. And, um, and then I started, you know, having all these opportunities. I met a guy named Michael White and it kind of changed my life. You know, we opened a restaurant together that kind of changed my trajectory forever. Cause that's Maria. It's uh, and you got, you think you guys earned two Michelin stars while you were there. Correct. Correct. And Maria's uh, beautiful restaurant sits right on uh, central park there. And how long were you actually at Maria? Uh, I was the opening chef in uh, 2009. We opened and was there until we moved home in 2018. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, you know, in the first year we earned one Michelin star and, you know, in November of, of that first year. And then, um, and then the second year we earned our second Michelin star and we kept them the entire time I was there. Can you talk about how things change once you get that star? I mean, for me, it was, it wasn't the, the expectation, even, even here where I don't have any Michelin stars is always the same. You know, you, you want perfection. Um, you know, you want to make the best food you can make every plate, every time, uh, no matter the day or, or, or the period. So, you know, I, before Maria, I worked at a place called 11 Madison Park for a chef named Daniel Hum. And he had just moved here from, from California. And it was kind of, you know, Michelin stars at the time were kind of new, you know, like the, they just came to North America in 2005. So, uh, in New York, we had Zagat, you know, and that was kind of like the, the rating system for, for, you know, for the city and, you know, Michelin kind of started taking over and you started to, you know, create a buzz and, and, you know, so working for Daniel, you kind of learned, you know, what the standard was and how to elevate your standard so that, you know, 
everything you do is just that much more elevated. And even when you slip, you're still, you know, higher than most. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think kind of just training and conditioning, you know, yourself to, to expect that of, of yourself and your team, um, was something I learned, you know, kind of before Michelin and it, it just, I surrounded myself with other people that felt the same way. And, you know, it's a team, it's a team sport. It's working in the kitchen is, it's not just me. And it's just, you know, everybody there was kind of working towards that same goal and holding themselves to those same standards. And it, it kind of steamrolls, you know, you get more students that want to be a part of it. You get, you know, and everybody is bought into this system and it's really hard, you know, to be a slacker when everybody else is, you know, pushing to um, keep this on their resume because it's good for it's good for everybody. It's good for the restaurant. It's good for the people that work there. Um, you know, it allows people to to kind of you know set their bar higher and and you know take those leaps from you know being a cook to being a sous chef, being a sous chef to being a chef de cuisine, being a chef de cuisine to being a, a chef owner. You know, so how long were you at Eleven Madison Park? A year and a half. Was that? When they had stars already? No, Dan, that was the first year that Daniel came from Campton Place. Because that was when EMP was like that, like tavern, right? It was, yep. Yeah, that was a Danny Meyer restaurant. That was kind of like a, know, it was a casual-ish concept. Very much so. And that's a great story. There's a lot of, there's a lot of coverage on this, but being a part of that transition was probably pretty, pretty I mean, formative. Yeah, I honestly, I didn't know anything about Daniel. I, I think I re responded to a Craigslist ad and I walked <laughs> in and, um, you know, I was like blown away by what the food was and the attention to detail. And Daniel was there every day expoing and it was like this beautifully, you know, difficult place to work. I mean, I think when I was there, it was, I was there a year and a half and I, I think we went through well over a hundred line cooks. Oh my God. Um, 13 different sous chefs. I mean, this is also, five pastry chefs. How many people? Like, how many cooks in that kitchen at any given moment? Um, I, it was tough to keep them around, but no more than I have at Oak and Real now. Mm. You know, it was probably, um, you know, seven, you know, hourly line cooks on the line, um, four or five sous chefs, you know, three or four pastry, yeah, so a I mean, bunch of you know, hundred is a lot of that's a, a lot. lot. I mean, every day it was you know Something's you were you had up. a game plan where you were being really nice to the to the stages because you wanted them to to, to work so <laughs> you could get stay. a day off and <laughs> yeah it was it was one of those places that was you know but it's amazing to see all of the people that went through there and you know they're all at the top of you know the at the top of the chef's list of yeah you know of all the cities that they're in so and then uh was Maria a different culture then what did you did you not have that problem yeah. I mean, I, you know, if you speak with anybody, I hope that works for me, um, you know, I am more of a lead by example, um, you know, do the dirty work so that, you know, people, um, can see how it should be done and, and, you know, and, you know, bring people up versus, you know, um, you know, more of the old school. I mean, and, and culture in general has changed kitchen culture. I mean, you oh, know, definitely. there's the exposure all of the, you know, the me too's all these things, um, have changed workplace culture, you know, in general. So, you know, it was kind of right at that pivotal point where, you know, you had to, to kind of clean up your act if you were one of those, you know, habitual offenders and some of these, you know, you know, with some of these bad habits. Um, but Maria was, you know, was definitely more of a communal, we're doing this together, you know, cooks could put forth dishes for, you know, menu, uh, you know, to put on the menu. I mean, it was, it was very collaborative and, and pretty awesome. And it was like, I mean, the, the amount of the volume that we did, you know, it was like we'd serve five to 600 guests a day. 
every single day, 365 days a year. And that's courses too. That's yeah, not, that's courses, know, that's like tasting eight, menus. Eight yeah, it's yeah. great. You know, and it's, you know, we'd have, you know, chefs from the Ducasse group come and stage and, you know, they'd be like, I don't believe that you guys, you know, at two Michelin stars do this kind of volume. And they come and they'd be like, holy smokes. Like, yeah. This is, you know, it's a, it was a beast of a restaurant that like, that's, that's, you know, made people grow quickly. You that's know, so you know. beneficial though. I feel like volume is something that so many higher end places and, and fine dining chefs struggle with. And it's like, once you get into actually owning your own place, you have to have a healthy relationship with volume because art and, you know, the perfect, you know, perfection right which doesn't exist but that's a it's hard to even approach that with volume but if you don't have volume investors aren't happy you don't you don't you don't stay in business we'll be right back right after this at a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. So, I mean, New York, you know, it's two Michelin star Manhattan restaurant couldn't be more, you know, uh, different than coming back to Detroit. I mean, what, the Midwest is different. Detroit, Rust Belt. I mean, this is a very, if you weren't from here, I can't imagine you would have moved to Detroit just to try your hand at opening a restaurant in, in our food scene. But obviously when you're from here, you you probably came back, you, you have small children, you're going to raise your family, you're going to put down some roots. What do you think is the biggest difference in uh, feeding the Midwest versus, you know, Manhattan? I mean, you're feeding... A pretty international audience there. And we have some international audience, but most of your customers, I'm assuming, are locals that live in and around Detroit. Certainly, yeah. It. Um, I mean, the difference is, is that most people around here could care less about my Michelin stars or what I've done in the past. or um, And so it's, you know, it's it's going, it's, it's kind of retraining and re-going through the process of earning people's respect and trust. And, you know, and in the Midwest, you know, I serve mostly Italian seafood, you know, and we didn't grow up, you know, I grew up eating orange roughy and, you know, and salmon and, um, you know, so we didn't grow up eating octopus and oysters and caviar and sea urchin and all these things that, you know, are so integral to what I have done in the past. So, you know, for me, it was just kind of relearning how to approach, you know, a, a more wary, you know, a less um, traveled uh, clientele. So that I can, you know, slowly integrate, you know, our, our, you know, our goals into, you know, into a, a harmonious, you know, relationship between us and, the, and our clients. And, and that takes, you know, time, it takes earning trust, it takes, um, you know, press, it takes people saying that, you know, this is a place to eat. Um, you know, it takes reviews, it takes all of these things, you know, to, to earn people's trust and to get people to come and, and check you out. You know, it's not, it's not enough anymore just to be a, a good chef, to have a good, you know, a good resume, you know, like you have to have, you know, good media, you have to have a good social good. I mean, it's, there's so many more layers to it. So I think, you know, for me, the biggest difference is, you know, I'm a chef owner now. I've got, you know, the, the, the weight of financing and all that, all those, you know, 
burdens to bear, you know, as I, as I figure out how to, you know, operate in this, in this, you know, in this, with this different palette and these you know, different sets of expectations. Uh, the most important question, um, New York pizza or Detroit style pizza, <laughs> the people want to know, because I'm sure you spent a lot of time in New York. I'm, I'm more of a Neapolitan style pizza. I'm going to thread the needle. I love, honestly, yeah. I love all pizza. Yeah. There's no wrong answer. What is your favorite slice in New York? What's the best slice? Um, I think Lucali probably has the best pizza in New York from when I was there. Sure. It's in Brooklyn. Oh, I know. I'm yeah. very familiar with Lucali. I think uh, I'm a Luigi's Park Slope guy. All right. I like, you know, I like, uh, I like what they do there. But what about the, all right, real quick, the, what's your favorite Detroit style pizza? I mean, when I moved back, we, you know, we went with the old classic. We go to Buddy's, you know, every Friday, and you know, we live in Farmington Hills, so you know, we take the kids every every year to get there at five o'clock, right on the dot. Yeah. Otherwise, you wait, you know, for the second seating. And is that Northwestern Highway? Yeah. 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 So you know, we'd we'd go there and every Friday night, and the family and kids still still get it every day, every Friday. That's pretty great. One final question: Can you talk about the upright? The Upright is uh, a cocktail bar, a mm -hmm. speakeasy-like cocktail bar located in, in, the, in the lower level of, at Oak and Reel. Um, you know, when I, when I moved here, I didn't, I never said, hey, you know what, I really want a bar uh, beyond the bar that serves mm -hmm. the restaurant. Uh, but, you know, the, the space that, that Oak and Reel, you know, is in ended up being a much larger uh, footprint than, than, than we really were looking for. And, you know, in my head, I was like, all right, you know, it's, we're going to, what could we turn this essentially large storage space that I had into, you know, down the road, you know, where we could put some money into it. It could be, you know, something that would generate without, um, without causing too much trouble. And, and, you know, we had a great team. And so we, we kind of um, pushed forward and we opened uh, a very beautiful little kind of gem of a cocktail bar and, in, uh, for the neighborhood, and you know, it's um, you know, it's it's a it's a space that uh, can function as a lot of different spaces. You know, it can be a private event space for people to have birthday parties. Um, you know, it can be somewhere for some of our other you know events to have you know a cocktail hour reception and then come over and and, and have dinner, and and then it functions as a, a traditional cocktail bar Friday and Saturday night from six o'clock until midnight. That's pretty cool mm -hmm. to have that extra space there. Mm -hmm. Well, I have one last question. What what food do you miss the most in New York City that obviously, you know, you can't get here? What do you crave? What do you find yourself middle of the night, cold sweat, thinking about? <laughs> I mean, I, the food that I crave most is generally Asian food, mm -hmm. you know, so Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese, um, Korean. Um, I think that I have located enough of those places to kind of scratch those itches, you yeah. know, for the most part. Um, but like a good Korean barbecue, you know, like a, a an OG Korean barbecue where they, you know, they're dragging around buckets of hot coals behind you, could, <laughs> you know, seemed, you know, because they're grandfathered in at these, you know, with these rates and, and an otherwise, you know, overly, um, you know, restrictive. And, um, um, you know, I'm sure OSHA doesn't like uh, having... And the fire department doesn't like having, you know, people running around a packed dining room with a bucket full of hot coals. Oh, I love it, though. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, I, I generally crave, you know, good Chinese food, good dim sum, um, you know, good Korean barbecue, Vietnamese. But, but yeah. there's a lot of great options here in, in Michigan No, as it's well. true. I think, you know, I, I crave like the Peking duck houses. Like, like I mean, obviously, you, you know, Hong Hua, there's a few places that do Peking duck. But, mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing like the true, that's like the whole restaurant's just dedicated to it. So I... 
I, when I go to, usually when I go to New York, I'm like rushing to get Peking Duck. Yeah. But well, thank you so much for coming in. Obviously, uh, you know, Oak and Reel is on, uh, is on Grand Boulevard on the North End, like you said, Milwaukee Junction. And you guys are, you got kind of, I'm not going to say funky, but I get confused sometimes because you're closed on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, right? Yep. So you're Thursday through Monday. Yep. Which is great because Monday can be a tough mm-hmm. time to find. Sunday and Monday Yeah, are those, tough. those are tough days. So I, I'm sure that's intentional. Yep. And, uh, but definitely don't, I've tugged on your door on Wednesdays quite a few times. So it's burned in my brain now. But, uh, and then, and then upright is inside of your building in the basement, but that's only open what days? Fridays and Saturdays. Fridays and Saturdays. Well, thank you so much. Thank Chef you so much Jared. for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Essential Cooking. If you've been enjoying our show, please drop us a review and share it with a friend. This podcast is produced by me, Andalisi, with my co-host, James Rigato. This episode was also produced, engineered, and edited by Connor Anderson, with production support from David Lyons, original music by the Mallet Brothers. Essential Cooking is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station.